0: Hello, and welcome to the season one finale of Things You Don't Need to Know. I've been making this show for the last year now, and as much as I love it, sitting in my dungeonous New York City apartment staring at Pro Tools eight hours a day is starting to wear on me. I need a break, but simply taking a few weeks off isn't really my style. I've concocted a little plan. I disappear. I never come back. You know, but you don't know you hope maybe I'll return, if. Of course, this raises the question, how does one simply disappear? Where do you even go? And how do you stay hidden? I'm Ori Kagan, and this episode is all about how to disappear. The very first place I started was with a book, aptly named How to Disappear Completely and Never Be Found. The book's written by Doug Richmond. And if you click his author's link on Google, it directs you to a picture of a man who you think at first is Doug Richmond, but when you click his picture, it sends you to everyone named Doug Richmond on LinkedIn. The company that published the book, Carol Publishing Group, filed for bankruptcy in 2000. But other than the time they were sued by Castle Rock Entertainment over a Seinfeld trivia book, there's not much information on them. I followed up on various leads, and my most promising suspect turned out to be a professor of ectomology, the study of insects, at Purdue University. We searched high and low, and I'm not entirely sure Doug Richmond is even a real person. Luckily, there are about a million other books on the same subject, and the general consensus was the person I should talk to was a guy by the name of Frank M. Ahern. He wears a black turtleneck with matrix glasses and sports sharp facial hair. When I emailed him, he said he was on Paris time, and I knew I had come to the right
1: place. My name is Frank and I work with people who have extreme privacy issues like blackmail, extortion, whatever it is, I handle it.
0: But what does disappear even mean? Cease to be visible. No, stop it. We're not doing that. That's not even the right definition. Be lost or go missing. Become impossible to find. Okay, that was right, but it's not really what I'm talking about. What I want to know is why do people disappear? And I don't mean the, we'll make them disappear, godfather-style disappearance. I mean vanishing on your own terms.
1: You know, people fit into categories. It's either a violent situation, a money situation, or a situation where they've done some really stupid things and they just can't rebuild their life where they're at. You know, then there are those who come into money and they just want to vanish and make sure Nobody ever finds them because they don't want to share their wealth. So, you know, that's what it always teeters on, you know, typically money or or violence. I am by no means facing
0: such a serious problem. But that doesn't mean I'm going to take my disappearance any less seriously. Uprooting your whole life and going somewhere new where you don't know anyone is hard to say the least. So if you want your disappearance to be successful, you need to plan ahead. What is the first thing you do? if you're going to disappear?
1: Well, I mean, there are things you really need to think about and know in advance. You know, number one, I mean, how are you going to earn a living? You know, where are you going to go? Is it safe? Can you acclimate there? You know, it's different for different people. Some people have means, and it's no problem. Other people, you need to figure out, are they going to work off the book somewhere as a house painter, gardener, you know, whatever it may be. So you really have to do like this pre-disappearing sort of situation. I've decided to earn a living with Bitcoin, or
0: more accurately, live off my Bitcoin. It's untraceable, it's secure, and with every day that goes by, it gets closer to mass utilization. I bought $100 of it this morning. And I expect that to hold me over until I'm at least 50 years old. Okay, so now that we figured out how I'm gonna survive, what's the next step?
1: Well, you need to set up shop before you get there. You know, if you're gonna pick up and disappear to Wyoming, maybe you get a Wyoming corporation or have somebody get a Wyoming corporation for you and the corporation, you know, gets an apartment for you, sets up utilities. This way you have a place to go to and that apartment is not in your name.
0: I've just realized that I should probably change my company from Ari Kagan LLC to something else.
1: The idea to be disappeared is to be a virtual entity per se. And then what you need to do is, how am I gonna get from point A to point B, creating the least amount of footprints or making sure that whoever's looking for me can't trace me.
0: And how difficult is that?
1: Very simple. I mean, I, I could load up some prepaid debit cards and a prepaid phone and contact an Uber to pick me up on some location, some street corner. And they can drop me off in whatever location. There's really no trace of Frank Ahern contacting that Uber. It's just a prepaid debit card and a prepaid mobile phone doing that. And then from there, I could find a ride share. You know, like look online, people who are looking to share gas money and travel and I can hop in their car with them and go to that point to my destination. I I didn't get on a plane, I didn't get on a boat, I didn't get on a train, I didn't go to train stations or airports with cameras.
0: But even then, with every day that passes, this gets harder and harder. Earth has over a billion security cameras monitoring round the clock, which makes disappearing without a trace for any extended period of time nearly
1: impossible. Well, let me just clarify. There's always a trace and there's always a footprint. You know, the ideas of Vanishing Without Trace just don't exist. You'll be spotted eventually, which is terrible
0: news for someone as famous and instantly recognizable as myself.
1: If you do have a certain amount of notoriety, you know, you have to find a location where that notoriety is not going to be an issue. And the truth is, you can't take someone like, you know, The Rock and disappear them. All right, so I've done some prep work.
0: I've planned my escape and all that's left is to not be found. Now, there are some pretty obvious things you shouldn't do, like go to any tourist destinations, go places you think you might run into people you knew from your past life, or anywhere you think someone looking for you might just randomly be. Once you disappear, your life takes on a whole new level of meticulousness, which is a real word, I looked it up. But if there's one thing you definitely should not ever do,
1: it's this. Don't tell anybody you've disappeared because you tell someone, you jeopardize it all.
0: And this is a lot harder than you might think. As a society, and as me, just knowing myself, I'm constantly telling everyone everything that I do, even if no one's listening. Take a look at my Twitter, for example. Just an hour ago, I tweeted, and I quote, I can't believe I just spent $600 on hard drives. I have no idea why why it doesn't make any sense, right? But I still did it, I still told everyone that I just did that thing. Or, you know, a very good friend of mine, Ronnie Feig, will tweet every time he comes back to Queens that he's in Queens. Like, it's a hard thing to do. I don't think you realize, like, with the internet, I'm not actually friends with Ronnie, by the way. Not that I couldn't be. He seems like he's pretty cool. But if Ronnie tried to disappear, he'd be fucked. He could never tweet that he was in Queens ever again. Which brings me to another point, the internet.
1: Whatever is online exists, There's no such thing as erasing online information and, you know, you can work with, you know, these companies to try to scrub it. It's not to say it's not coming back in six months from now, but what you can do is create disinformation, information that says you live in X place. I mean, you can create some sort of social media, some business websites or, you know, message-on-message boards that you live in Chicago.
0: Which is genius. Because I don't live in Chicago. All right, I've just gone ahead and spread my first piece of false information. It is the pinhead emoji followed by the letters Q-U-E-E-N-S, which is a lie. I'm actually in Manhattan. Or am I? What about a fake identity of some kind?
1: Fake identities don't necessarily work, but you can have a fake background, you know instead of being frank Ahern and privacy consultant i could be you know frank Ahern who's a writer and writes blogs or you know i you, part of the thing is when you you are disappeared you have to have a story to tell whether it be the bartender your neighbors so you have to create some sort of information about yourself that will not lead to your real identity because if you meet people and you don't share with them you'll create curiosity and they'll start looking
0: When we return, I look into someone who disappeared nearly a hundred years ago.
1: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No.
0: The final phase of my research was looking into actual people who disappeared. So for this next bit, we enter the mystery zone. I'm here with my sister Sophie. Say hi, Sophie. What do you mean? Hi, Sophie. No. Just say the fucking line. It says right there. Hi, Sophie. That's your line. Say it. Hi, Sophie. Very good. Okay. See, that wasn't that hard. My sources tell me you like a good mystery story. Is that true? Stephanie Sue's my girl. Shout out to the Stephanie Sue podcast. She's not scary, but... Yeah, I love true crime. Well, you're in luck, because today we are looking into the case of Judge Joseph Force Crater. I've picked this case specifically for this episode because I have a lot of things in common with him. Not only do we both live in New York City, but we're both famous. He was a New York Supreme Court justice, and he was also known for being a dapper dresser. Point being, it's hard for people like us to vanish because we dress so well that we stand out. You'll be so missed (laughs) if you're gone. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get into it. Joseph Force Crater was born in Easton, Pennsylvania on the 5th of January, 1989. That's not relevant to the story at all, but every true crime mystery podcast starts by telling you where the person was born. Joseph attended Lafayette College and then Columbia University for law. He worked as a secretary for Robert Wagner, the politician, not the actor, and eventually became a rather successful New York City attorney. At a time when the Great Depression had decimated the economy, He made approximately $25,000 a year, adjusted for inflation $400,000 today, and had multiple properties, including a Fifth Avenue apartment he bought for his wife Stella and a vacation cabin in Belgrade, Maine. I wish I could remember the Green Acres song where it's like, Jesus, I love you, but give me Fifth Avenue. (laughs) That's not remotely right, but yeah. In April 1930, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who at the time was the governor of New York, appointed Crater to the New York Supreme Court. So, yeah, he's living the good life, but that's all about to change. On August 2nd, 1930, Joseph and his wife Stella arrive at their main vacation house, but he is forced to return to the city for work, promising her he would be back by August 9th, her birthday. He went into work on August 5th and again on the 6th. On the 6th, there were reports that he was shredding documents and taking others home in a briefcase. Later that afternoon, he arranged for his secretary to pick up $5,150 from the bank, over 80,000 in 2021 dollars. I mean, like, there's a lot of disappearance cases where it's like, these people vanish. This seems, this seems like a bit more planned. In the evening, he returned to his apartment and sent the maid home before dressing in a brown pinstripe suit, gray spats, and a straw Panama hat. Like I said, very fashionable. He then went to try and get tickets to the Broadway comedy Dancing Partner. The show was full, but he was told if there were any extra tickets, they would save him one at the counter. From there, he proceeded on foot to Billy Haas' Chop House, where he met William Klein and Sally Lou Ritz. What'd he eat? (laughs) He had a massive fucking steak. This sounds like a last meal. At 9.15, the trio finished dinner, at which point Crater hailed a cab and was never seen again. The first theory is that he just left, bootstrapped out of New York City and started a new life. However, the $5,150 and everything other than the clothing he was wearing was found by his wife at their apartment. So if he was planning to go anywhere, he would be starting from scratch. That being said, six years later, he was spotted out in California by gold prospector Lucky Black Blackett who told the LAPD the judge had introduced himself by name and said, in one more year, I will be legally dead. I hope I can stick it out that long. Although this might sound convincing, there have been over 16,000 crater sightings around the globe. So, moving on. The second theory is that he was murdered. The motive being they were afraid he would testify against corruption, which ran rampant in that era. But no body was ever found, and there were really no leads. That is until 2005, when Stella Ferrucci Good, not the same Stella married to Judge Crater, passed away, leaving a handwritten letter in an envelope marked, Do not open until my death. The letter stated her husband, Robert Good, a police officer, Charles Burns, and his cab driver brother, Frank Burns, murdered Crater and buried him under the boardwalk at Coney Island. It even gave an exact location, but unfortunately by the time the letter was discovered, that area had been turned into an aquarium. He Z- swims it- with <laughs> the fishes is what they're fucking saying. That's literally what they're saying. Louis Brazzi sleeps with the fish. Luca Brazzi. Luca. So, anyway, nobody knows where he, where he is now. You live in the city, why don't you just like go around and you know follow in his footsteps, go figure out where he's been, figure out where he's going or figure out where he is. So you're saying, like, go take money out of the bank, go meet your friend for Broadway, go to Billy Haas' Chop House, catch a taxi? I mean, you don't have a wife to buy her apartment on Fifth Avenue, but I would take it, you know? Okay, this is going to be a bit of a long tangent, but I do recognize that I live in New York City, and this is a great opportunity to uh, do some real journalism and solve a 91-year-old cold case. My day started by going into the office, being that I work at home, I left my apartment and walked right back in. Then I shredded some papers. Trying to get rid of some stuff, let me keep a few for my briefcase. All right, now I'm gonna get some money out of the bank. Unfortunately, the most I could take out was five bucks. I then returned to my apartment, told my vacuum to stay in the closet, and prepared for the evening ahead. I do have a pinstripe suit, so I guess that's the look. I'm trying to stay as close to history as possible. Looking dapper as ever, I went straight to Broadway and tried to get tickets to Dancing Partner. I'm in the theater now. There's nobody here, which would make sense because Dancing Partner stopped playing in November 1930. All right, off to Billy Haas. I was surprised at how close Billy Haas was, It might be because I walk fast, but I got there in like seven minutes. Or should I say where Billy Haas used to be? It's no longer there. Coming up on 332 West 45th Street. Seems to be either a parking lot or an apartment building. I'm not really sure. Excuse me, do you know where 332 is? The other way. Gotcha, thank you very much. Yes, it's an apartment building. Although I was rather disappointed, I was quite looking forward to my T-bone steak, the sun was setting and it was time to hail a cab. Hey, how you doing?
1: Take me down. This is Harry, uh, the producer of the podcast, and it's my obligation to tell you that Things You Don't Need to Know is a Hyperobject, M3 and Candy 4 production. It was written and edited by Ari Kagan, and produced by Ari Kagan, and also me, Harry Nelson. Additional help from Shane McKean and Nuna Sharafadeen,
0: Our executive producers are Adam McKay and Laura Mayer. The show's mixed by nice manners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy listening. And uh, write a review if you like the show. It would really help us out and maybe convince Ari to come home.
1: This has been Harry Nelson. We'll be back next season. Thanks for listening. Bye.